Ladies and gentlemen of the press, Gaza is becoming a graveyard for children. Hundreds of girls and boys are reportedly being killed or injured every day. One month has passed since United Nations Secretary-General Antonio Guterres called Gaza a graveyard for children. Since then, the death toll has risen to over 18,000 people. One Israeli study estimates that 60% of those were civilians. But, like everything in this war, these figures are contested. We are indeed targeting the terrorists. We are not after the civilians and we are going into great efforts in order to keep it that way. Israeli politicians and Defence Forces spokespeople say that every effort is made to avoid civilian deaths. So it is our professional and military and I would say also moral obligation to distinguish between the terrorists and non-combatants. But now, an Israeli investigative report says this war is being fought with new tactics that allow the Israeli Defence Forces to hit more targets with less caution, meaning far more civilian casualties. This is a bombing campaign that has often hit non-military targets. It has a loose interpretation of what a military target is. Yuval Abraham is an Israeli journalist who spoke to seven current and former members of Israeli intelligence for his investigation. It has abandoned previous protocols that allowed the military to protect civilians. And using artificial intelligence, it has generated more targets than ever before. This is In the News from the Irish Times. I'm Sarah Pollock. Today, how the Israeli Defence Forces picks its targets in Gaza. Yuval Abraham is an investigative journalist for the Plus 972 magazine, and he's based in Jerusalem. Yuval, I'd like to start by asking you, our listeners won't know much about you or your work in Israel. So could you tell us a little bit about what your work usually covers? Sure, yes, of course. So, so hi, I'm happy to be here. I've been covering for the past six years of my life um, mainly the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I am fluent in both Arabic and Hebrew, and I spend most of my time in the occupied West Bank. Usually I write in Hebrew, so my main focus is towards the Israeli society to try and bring, you know, stories that are often not in the mainstream news in Israel. So Yuval, in your recent article, which was called A Mass Assassination Factory Inside Israel's Calculated Bombing of Gaza, you describe this war as one of the deadliest military campaigns against Palestinians since 1948. Your investigation is based on conversations with current and former members of Israel's intelligence community, along with Palestinian testimonies, data and documentation, and also statements from the Israeli Defence Forces and Israeli institutions. How were you able to access all this information from both sides of this extremely divided conflict? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that, first of all, me being an Israeli definitely helps to create these connections. It's something I've been working on for a long time, actually, even before the war began. For almost two years, I've been building connections with Israel's intelligence community. And I found that a lot of people who are taking part in, in this current war and in previous operations are actually quite critical and perhaps to be an intelligence officer, sometimes you have to be a little more critical. They, they usually take people who have a critical outlook. It's viewed as something beneficial. And I also think that, you know, really the amount of destruction in Gaza, the, 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 the killing of, of so many people has also managed to shock a lot of the people who, 
who are there right now. And, and some of them felt a need almost to, to share that with other people. Um, so, so I think that's how, yeah. Israel has named this current war Operation Iron Swords. And you found that from the very first moment after the October 7th attack, during which more than 840 civilians were massacred and 350 soldiers killed by Hamas, Israel's decision makers openly declared that Operation Iron Swords would be of a completely different magnitude to previous campaigns. What more did you learn about their initial plans for this war? Yes, so in the investigation, we report that during the first five days, the military said that 50% of the targets that it bombed were considered to be power targets. According to sources in intelligence who have bombed or planned power targets in the past, the idea of hitting power targets is not to hit it for the milit- for the direct military value, but to hit certain places that will place civilian pressure on Hamas. And power targets, according to these sources, are mainly high-rise buildings. So very tall, high residential buildings in Gaza that were bombed also in previous operations for the shock effect value of that bombing, according to sources that said that even if there is some target in the building that the military will associate with Hamas, the reason for bombing, as they were told it, was because of this shock effect. These are sources that have created power targets in previous operations. I don't know exactly to say um, whether or not the same definition is the one in this operation. In the past, power targets, part of the protocol was that the the military uh, had evacuated all of the civilians from these high-rise buildings before bombing them. We have found certain indications that high-rise buildings were bombed in Gaza without evacuating families from them in this operation, which led to uh, many civilians being killed. I should mention that you have stated the IDF has not disputed or tried to correct any of the details in your report directly, but that it strongly denies any targeting of civilians and insists that it complies with international law. Can you give me an example, Yuval, during those first five days of the conflict, what kind of targets were being hit? So we know residential neighbourhoods were being destroyed, but were there other buildings, well-known buildings perhaps in Gaza that were hit? Yes, there were many. So for example, you know, the, the, the Islamic University in Gaza, the, the Lawyers Bar Association, the entire Rimal neighborhood, which was in, you know, a very affluent neighborhood in Gaza. The, the Israeli military released before and after pictures of, of entire neighborhoods in northern Gaza, in the areas north of Gaza, which, which really showed dozens of, of houses right next to each other that were bombed. And we also know of, for example, one high-rise building that we mentioned in the piece called, called the Babel uh, building, which was bombed during these first five days and people who were in it were killed, including three journalists. So yes, it's definitely something that we are seeing both, both from the evidence in Gaza and, and, and also from sources that I've spoken with that said that during these, not only the first five days, during the first few, few weeks of the operation, military commanders carrying you know, the, the shock from October 7th really abandoned a lot of the previous protocols that were in place. And the bombing was done in a way that it was never done before. You know, one source mentioned how they were knowingly killing 
hundreds of Palestinian civilians in order to try to assassinate one person in Hamas. So, so these sorts of, of, of bombings on a very wide radius, knowingly killing a lot of civilians to hit one target, one person, is something that, according to, to several sources in the Israeli uh, intelligence, was not done before. Um, they, they thought it was you know, extremely disproportionate, and that's why they, perhaps they spoke about it. And as you mentioned in the piece, and you've mentioned here, previously the Israeli army's official procedure was that it would only attack targets after all civilians, particularly children, had been evacuated from buildings. Now, in this piece, the IDF has told you that it still sends warnings through phone calls and, quote, works to reduce harm to civilians as part of the attacks as much as possible, end quote. But the people you've spoken to, sources, have said that's not the case. Yes, and, and, and there's a distinction between targets that were also bombed in the past, knowingly killing civilians. For, for example, assassination attempts. Also in the past, also in 2021 and in 2014, if you want to assassinate somebody by, by dropping a very large bomb on their house, you're not going to send a warning missile because then your target for assassination will, will run away. So, so in these cases they not only know that the target of assassination is there, they also know the amount of civilians that are right next to him. So it's, so it's not a mistake, right? Also in the past, it, it's important to understand that for all the, the target files, Israel has a target bank, right? That it creates before the war. And in all of the target files that are in this bank, that basically, you know, detail what the target is and how they know that that target is there. In all of them, there is a section that says essentially civilian death. And there is a number there. So there, there is an amount of civilians. It can be zero as well, but there is an amount of civilians that they know for a certainty will die before striking uh, the target. And what I'm saying is that in this operation, the previous way in which the military regulated the killing of civilians, if in the past they would, for example, as sources say, they would allow tens of Palestinian civilians to be killed for an assassination attempt against one Hamas senior military member, now we are talking about hundreds of Palestinian civilians being knowingly killed. And this is one change. There are two other changes that are worth mentioning, I think. A, a, a second change with regards to how precise you need to be before striking a target. So, you know, often you, you, you strike a target when you get a certain pinpointing that the person that you want to be there is there. And it needs to be precise because you're dropping, a, you know, you're dropping a bomb in a residential area. Sources said that in this operation, they are getting an approximation of where somebody is. So it's not precise. They can't say they know exactly if, if that person is in that building or in the other building. And in the past, the protocol would not allow them to strike. They would need to spend, you know, 30 more minutes, 45 more minutes to get a more precise location. Now sources say often they have made strikes like this, covering a very wide radius. Again, knowingly killing not only the target, but a lot of civilians around that person. And the third protocol that was abandoned re revolves around the, the authorization. So in the past, before authorizing a target, you would need to get you know, an authorization from a, from a high-ranking military officer. Now they're saying during this war, they're letting soldiers who are much um, um, less of a senior rank to, to, to carry out these sorts of strikes. 
Yuval, you've learned from Israeli intelligence sources who served in previous operations that for 10 days in 2021 and three weeks in 2014, an attack rate of 100 to 200 targets per day led to a situation where the Israeli air forces had no targets of military value left. So why then, after nearly two months of this conflict, has the Israeli army not yet run out of targets in the current war? The answer is partially because of artificial intelligence and automation software that, that is allowing the Israeli military to create targets at a rate that before was just not humanly possible. They have to rely today on machines to analyze an amount of data that is so big that human beings cannot even handle it to create an amount of targets that is getting bigger and bigger from each military operation and has now reached really unprecedented numbers. Uh, the military said that it has bombed more than 23,000 uh, targets since the beginning of this operation. This is four times as much as 2014, which was the largest previous operation. And I've spoken to sources who created targets using artificial intelligence, using a specific program called the Gospel, which we write about in our piece. Yeah. And they say that the Gospel is, is like a target machine. So while a human being is in the loop somewhere, the, the, the machine basically does most of the process of the target creation. Most of this process is now automated. And the human being has to look at it and basically give the green light. And they said two things that are very important. One, that the emphasis is being placed not on the quality of the targets, but on the quantity of the targets. Two, that they felt often the military value of some of these targets that were created was very, very low. And that actually the targets are, were being bombed in this massive scale also to create a certain shock in Gaza out of this belief that if you bomb a lot of targets simultaneously and if you will not run out of targets, if you can keep the pressure of the bombing, that will cause civilians to turn against Hamas. That will place some sort of civilian pressure on Hamas. I've heard this from, from several sources. And it's worth mentioning here that the IDF, in a statement on its website, has acknowledged its use of automatic tools to identify targets in the war. Your report states that the IDF divides its targets in Gaza into four different categories. Now, you've already mentioned power targets, but can you tell me a bit more about these power targets and also the three other categories that they use? So power targets, I mean, as we said in the past, the way they were defined was that these were mainly high-rise buildings that were evacuated from, their, from the families who were inside. And they were bombed, according to sources, not for the military value in them, but for the civilian shock they create. A very famous example, if you even Google, you know, AP and AFP headquarters, this was a building that was bombed in 2021 in Gaza and hosted the AP and AFP media outlets and the Al Jazeera, and, and it was bombed. In a moment, with a phone call from the Israeli army, another Gaza high-rise became a condemned building. Minutes ticking down on a one-hour warning. This, the office of the Associated Press, as its staff made instant decisions about what they needed to salvage to keep on working. So, so this was a power target, according to sources. The second type of targets is what can be described as assassination targets. And this is often done um, by dropping a bomb on the target for assassination's home. So as we said before, you are you know, knowingly killing not only 
that particular target, but but they're often their family and their neighbors, and sometimes, as as we see in this operation, hundreds of civilians, as has happened several times. The third type of target is underground targets. So Hamas has created really, you know, a web, a maze of, of, of tunnels that were built under Gaza, uh, often really, according to sources, in places that are endangering the, the Gazan civilian population. So in a way, using civilian spaces to cover these tunnels. And according to sources, often when they are bombing these tunnels, it causes buildings around them to collapse. So say you bomb, you know, a tunnel, you bomb it like, like a straight line. And then, you know, it's, it's in neighborhoods. So, so entire, you know, residential homes collapse and they, they're killing the families and the children in the homes. And the fourth and final type of target is what would perhaps be considered under international law as a more traditional and legitimate type of target is tactical targets, tactical military targets. And these can be armed militants who are engaged in a gun battle. This can be ammo warehouses. This can be uh, rocket launcher pits. These are, I think, the four types. And, and we are seeing that in this operation, there seems to be a particular emphasis on the power targets and on the assassination attempts that are, you know, I think a lot of international law experts would define them as, as potential war crimes, these sorts of targets, and are leading to a lot of civilian death. When, when, you, are bombing, when you assassinate somebody by bombing a residential area, obviously you are going to kill a lot, a lot of civilians. You've written, Yuval, in this article that, quote, according to sources who were involved in the compiling of power targets in previous wars, although the target file usually contains some kind of alleged association with Hamas or other militant groups, striking the target functions primarily as a means that allows damage to civil society. The sources understood, some explicitly and some implicitly, that damage to civilians is actually the real purpose of these attacks. But the Israeli Defence Forces completely deny that this is the case. How confident can you be that your sources are correct on this point? Well, specifically about power targets, I am fairly confident for two reasons. Uh, The first is that I've spoken to three sources, uh, independent sources that have, you know, they come from different areas in Israeli intelligence. And they've all, you know, said the same thing from from first-hand knowledge. The second is that when you look at how Israel has reported bombing these power targets in the past, if you read, for example, the way military journalists have written about this based on IDF statements, they always emphasize in the reports not only the military target, but also things like how people in Gaza are talking about it in social media, how these were iconic um, buildings in Gaza that were very important for the population, how this has created a deterrence in Gaza. So they always use this sort of, you know, language that has two layers to it. So the first is the layer of the military target. And then the, the second layer is this, you know, bigger layer of the civilian shock target. Now in the past, and again, in the past, they would bomb these targets only after evacuating the, the civilians who were there. So sources told me the idea was not to kill the civilians in the past. The idea was to create a shock, to make them, you know, to, to make them lose their homes, to, to destroy these important buildings in Gaza. Now, when we know the military has bombed more than 1,000 power targets in five days in this operation, to, there are clear indications that 
the same evacuation protocols that were in place in the past were not in place during this war. So we are seeing a development of this type of target that is now becoming more deadly than in the past. The IDF insists that it is seeking to abide by international law and to minimize casualties. It also has accused Hamas of breaking international law by using civilians to shield its estimated 30,000 fighters and of storing and of storing armaments in a 400-kilometer network of underground tunnels, many of which run under and exit into civilian sites such as hospitals and schools. With that being the case, doesn't Hamas share some of the blame for all these civilian casualties? I think Hamas does share part, part of the blame. I don't know if for the civilian casualties, but obviously Hamas has broken international law. Obviously, you know, Hamas on October 7th committed horrific crimes. It continued committing these crimes when it kept Israeli hostages, some of them babies, you know, in, 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 in Gaza against international law. I think a lot of Palestinians are appalled by, by, by what Hamas did, and a lot of Palestinians in Gaza are, are not supportive of Hamas and its actions. Hamas has placed, and I know this from Palestinians as well as I know it from, from Israeli intelligence sources, has placed Palestinian civilians in danger. And all of these war crimes do not justify, in my view, Israel committing war crimes in Gaza. It's not a zero-sum game. Often when you have a war, you imagine, you know, you imagine the world as if, if you are, if you are critici- criticizing Israel, that means you are supporting Hamas. Or if you criticize Hamas, that... No, obviously not. You wrote in your article about your friend, journalist Ahmed Al-Nuk, whose entire family was killed in the city of Deir al-Bala on October 22nd. If they had received a warning, they would have evacuated immediately. They were sleeping and they were bombed without any warning. Can you tell me what happened to his family and why they were targeted? Yeah, so Ahmed is is still, you know, he's, he's a good friend of mine. And, and for me, this was perhaps the hardest moment um, of, of all these past uh, two months because, because as you said, his entire family was, was bombed. They were burned to, to death. They were bombed. You know, his father, 75 years old, his niece a two-year-old baby, all of them. He was the only one who was not at home. So he's the, he's alone, you know, now in the world without a family. And the answer is that I don't know why they bombed his home. Even after I've done all of this research, I don't know. And he doesn't know either. There were no militants in the home. There was no apparent target in the home. And this shows you also how my investigation is partial because... Because, we, because a lot of these targets seem to have no clear logic to them. We know that more than 50 journalists were killed in Gaza. Some of them were bombed while they were in their homes. We know of countless families like Ahmed's family where there is no apparent target for assassination, nothing that you can point your finger at and say, oh, they were actually aiming for this. And, you know, I'm hearing from sources also that in the, in the Israeli intelligence, you know, that there is an atmosphere of revenge there. There is an atmosphere... And I didn't write this in the piece. I'm telling you this now, you know, there is an atmosphere of complete disregard for Palestinian civilian life, complete disregard. And I've heard this not from one person, but from several people who are there right now. And you don't know when, when, when you have this atmosphere, when you have a loose interpretation of what a military target can be, when you are using, as we said, automation and artificial intelligence to maximize the amount of targets that you have, when you have all of these factors combined, obviously, I mean, these things are going to happen. Uh, 
So I don't know exactly why. Um, and I hope to be able to find out one day if there is, if there is a reason. It doesn't seem to be a reason. That's all for today. For more reporting on what's happening in Gaza, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Sarah Pollock. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon and John Casey. In the news, we'll be back tomorrow.